This is the Risky Mix podcast, where we speak with those people changing the mix in the insurance industry. Sharing their personal journeys, their inspirational stories, and answering the questions we all want answered. You're listening to Raj and Katie. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Today on the Risky Mix podcast, we're lucky to be joined by Dr. Shazadi Harper, a medical specialist in women's health and well-being with a particular focus on the menopause. Dr. Shazadi is on a mission to empower women to look and feel their best. And today she's joined us for a chat to tell us about some of the medical trends she's seeing and what employers and insurers can do to better support their staff and customers. Welcome to the podcast, Shazadi. Thank you. Thank you very much, both of you. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely to have you. Um, we, we thought we'd ki- uh, kick things off with a, a bit of a personal question uh, mm-hmm. just to get get to know you a little bit better. Can you tell us a little bit about your morning routine? Yeah, I mean, it's not very exciting. I'm going to start <laughs> off by saying that. Um, I I do get up quite early, um, sort of six, seven-ish or so. And, you know, I, but, I, but I do spend a lot of time still going back to bed. So I get up and I go and make myself a coffee, a black coffee. Um, and I let the dog out. Now, that sounds very strange to a lot of people that know me because I used to be terrified of dogs up until a couple of years ago. Really? So the fact that I am really friendly with a dog now, Dexter, <laughs> his name is, um, it is an unusual thing for me. And then I just bring my coffee back to bed and I check through my emails. Um, I have a look at Instagram, which is also a new thing for me for the last sort of six, seven months or so. Um, and, um, and then I just plan my day. Um, sometimes I'll write a to-do list. Sometimes I've already got a to-do list, you know, from the night before. I do yeah. like to do a bit of brain dumping and then just get on with it. And before you know it, I mean, it's often about sort of eight, nine o'clock and, um, you know, time's flown by. And when you, I mean, right now is a difficult, different time to usual times because I'm not going into the clinic. I'm not going into the office. So um, it's a bit more of a leisurely wake up time than I suppose yeah. um, in the past. Yeah. And, and what breed is uh, what breed is Dexter? Um, he's mixed. He's a bit of a cosmopolitan London dog, is what oh, I would call cool. him. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very Fantastic. nice. Cool. Yeah, that sounds that sounds lovely. Yeah. Um, so you've got a really interesting background, and obviously, what you've done with the clinic is um, really great. I think, and and really needed. Um, just let us know about your career journey. Um, what's brought you to this particular stage in your career, starting your own? your own yeah I mean I've always wanted to be a doctor you know from day dot and that's never been sort of questioned at all Um, but then when I qualified I um, got pregnant really quickly and so I was a single mum so um, you know my vision was always of me being this sort of superpowered doctor you know wearing heels commanding all of this team and specialist team in a hospital but you know life takes different turns and so Mm. um, you know I became a mum pretty quickly and early on and I had to start thinking about how do I juggle you know so work um, with being a mum and life effectively and there was no way I was going to give up being a doctor so I became a GP and a little bit resentful at the beginning not going to deny that because it wasn't quite the career path that I thought but it really gives you a lot of opportunities and you meet so many people you know you are privileged to hearing stories um, from so many people from different backgrounds and it allowed me to really upskill in so many ways. I did addictions, um, um, certificates, um, weight management. Um, and really, I think there was sort of a light bulb moment in about sort of 2014. I'd had a skiing accident. I was laid up 
and I was a bit tired you know I was feeling I was a bit burnt out and I thought what do I want to do and the thing was you know sort of in the GP surgery when a woman over the age of um 40 used to come in, it was a bit of a challenging thing. You know, she'd come in with all of these vague symptoms. Um, I wouldn't really know what to do with them. I don't think doctors knew what to do with them. I think there's a, a lack of awareness amongst medical professional when it comes to the perimenopause and menopause. And so these women were coming back again and again and being referred on to lots of different specialities. And, um, you know, also approaching that time of life myself, you know, from a selfish point of view. And also, um, I really wanted to learn more about it. And I wanted to be that expert in that field. And I finally felt that my life, you know, sort of 20 years down the line, I was going to go into sort of an area of specialism that I could be really good at mm-hmm. and, um, you know, help myself, help other women, you know, help my sisters. Um, I'd seen my mother post-menopause, you know, having accelerated dementia. So um, I, I really felt that maybe women's health and well-being um, wasn't being given that attention or priority. And I wanted to be that doctor that joined the dots for a woman, really, and empower her you know, to take a proactive approach to her her life because we're living until we're in our mid-80s or so. So we've got another sort of 40, 50 years, you know, from, from, from our perimenopause onwards. So just a quick question. So in your medical training, um, was there no a, a specific topic around women's health or menopause or because... I mean, you said that a lot of um, practitioners are not really aware of the symptoms or recognizing them. So was there, was there nothing covering that when you went through No, I, I know it's surprising. You, you hear all about puberty, you know, you reproductive, like fertility, you know, pregnancy, um, you know, that, that end of hormones. You learn about contraception. You don't really learn much about menopause. And I'm talking wow. about, you know, medical school and G, GP training. So it was a strange thing to be seeing these women coming sort of through a revolving door almost in, into my GP surgery when I was a, a younger GP thinking, well, what are all of these symptoms they're talking about? They don't seem, each one on their own didn't seem super significant. Or, right. and, but when you combine them together, you know, when somebody's anxious, low mood, hot flushes, aching joints, not sleeping, when you combine them all together, you know, they can be really debilitating, but known. But now things are changing. And actually, um, children are going to be taught about menopause at school um, from this year on. What year year is that? From secondary school, um, in their sort of social sciences and um, 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 lessons. So so they are going to learn a little bit more about it and periods and all of those kind of things that maybe have been more sort of taboo or hush-hush subjects. And I think, you know, bringing it out more into the open, um, so breaking that taboo down. That's so, that's so great. We had um, we had Emma Bardwell on the uh, podcast with us a few months back, and she yeah. was talking all about the menopause. And I think for from both Raj and my perspective, I think we we both were like, oh, perimenopause—that's a thing—and yeah. God, it affects women so young, and there are all these symptoms. And my mom's been through the menopause, and my husband's mm. mom has, and she had a she had a terrible time with her mental health and stuff like that. And a lot of the stuff Emma was saying was like, yeah. ah, that's why that was happening, and. But she didn't really have the support around her. Yeah, I mean, mental health is really important. And I think sort of people think about uh, menopause more in the terms of hot flushes um, rather than thinking about sort of 
anxiety, um, low mood, um, loss of confidence, loss of self-esteem. And mm. those are all aspects, and particularly, I think, for a woman that really impacts on her, the change of her body shape, mm. the fact that she suddenly feels she's aging more. And you said, yeah. you know, Katie, one of the things you said is, you know, as a young younger woman, um, you don't know much about it. I mean, I was saying the same thing as a younger woman. I didn't know much about it. So, when I go and give some um, seminars and talks, it's to all ages, you know, men and women. And I think um, women find it really quite um, informative as well because um, young, younger women do because they're not aware and it sort of helps them to be prepared rather than scared of this um, sort of um, section of their lives. And that's how I want women to feel. Um, I want them to be empowered and feel prepared um, rather than and be more in control of it for themselves. I think that's great. It's fantastic. And so is that, is that what your clinic is sort of um, fundamentally about in your practice now? Uh, uh, yeah, so so I um, set up the Harper Clinic about sort of 14, 15 months ago. It was a big, bold move on my side. And I think mm. one of the things is also women, I think, don't take many risks in life. And I, I think we are nervous about it because I think that's naturally, and that's, you know, our innate kind of feature. We don't make those um big bold moves also men tend to have more networks and business networks and you know sort of that camaraderie um, and macho-ness that they and they they tend to believe in themselves a lot more um so I went through a tricky patch in 2017 um my relationship my marriage broke down you know quite significantly and quite painfully and I read a book called um, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg and literally, I read it within weeks of, um, you know, us, us splitting. And it was a really good book for me because it helped me to understand me because mm-hmm. I'd always felt a bit like a square peg in a round hole when it came to sort of having a vision, you know, uh, seeing from A to Z, wanting to make things happen. And, um, and, and I also learned that we as women, sometimes, even if we're 90% right, we won't make a big move. Whereas men, it said, was, <laughs> even if they're 60 or 70% right, we'll, be, we'll, we'll make that move. And I just thought, well, you know, it's now or never you know, what have I got to lose effectively? My daughter had just started university. So I thought, I'm going to open a clinic. And literally, I was walking past and there was a sign saying um, that this space was for lease. And I thought, I'm going to go in there. And within, what, 48 hours, I, I agreed it all. That's amazing. Um, wow. so, so there's an element of ignorance is bliss. Uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I don't know whether it's sort of fake sort of fake, bravado yeah. or, 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 you know, I just thought, well, you know, for the last 20 years, I've, I've been doing a role that I've enjoyed, you know, um, but it isn't what I really were, where I wanted my life to be. And also I like the idea of being in charge of my own time, you know, being able to have my own business. And I also wanted to show other women that this is a new stage in your life. It's not, life's not over, it's midlife. And yeah. it can be a second stage, a second wind, whatever you want yeah. to call it, but it can be um, a good time. So I felt a little bit like a phoenix rising from the ashes yeah. at that moment. That's in life. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. It's almost fate, isn't it, that that space was up for... Yeah, kind of it really was. Thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you must. So you talk to many women uh, mm. at your clinic. I mean, what are you... Are there any kind of trends? Are there any things that you're seeing that women are coming to you quite a bit about to, to speak about and, and are looking for support with? 
So, I mean, uh, my clinic's on Harley Street. And I think when I say that, people imagine the sort of really rich, wealthy women, you know, sort of um, coming in. But my women aren't at all like that. And I would say they are women who are working. And now, nowadays, there are many more women working in the um, workplace in sort of... Um, you know, high up in their careers. And a lot of them are just finding that they're floundering a little bit. They can put on a front of confidence, but actually inside and internally, um, they are feeling sort of um, more overwhelmed. Their sort of coping abilities aren't what they used to be. They're suddenly experiencing anxiety and palpitations. And I think um, I think that is what I'm seeing more and more of. Um, women um, are feeling not like themselves and they just just don't know why um, and they want to be better versions of themselves they want to take charge of their health and they want to probably not look like their mothers did at this point as well in their life and that's you know to be totally fair and honest you know they I think nowadays women in their 40s and 50s um, have a different look and feel about them a different vibrancy about them so I think um, that's a common trend that I see you know women want to stay um, healthy it's not about uh, looking younger it's about staying healthy um, and minimizing their risks moving forward and also there's a big part of mental um, health and well-being so um, although I'm a doctor I often say that my job and my role in my clinic is more to be um, a life coach doctor, menopause life coach doctor, mm. um, or a midlife life coach doctor. Um, and it's about pulling all of those strands of their life together. Um, and they want someone else to sort of give them permission to um, maybe take take some time off or, or they want someone to take control of their medical aspect because they are doing other roles, you know, whether it be mm. at work, at home, um, and, and they want someone to offload it to. Yeah. On the kind of mental health side, have, have you seen, uh, I don't know, I, I suppose you're, you're relatively new, I suppose, to having your own clinic, but have you seen any changes? I mean, obviously mental health is a huge issue and it mm. is actually almost more of an issue currently with, with the yeah. coronavirus and things. I mean, have have you seen have you seen mental health kind of coming to the forefront more than it has been before? Yeah, I mean, and, and to put into perspective, as part of my GP training, I did do um, two years of psychiatry. At one point, I did think that that was a career path that I wanted to go down right. um, because your physical health um, has, well, your mental health and well-being has a huge impact on your physical health. So um, yes, you know, I've seen a lot more stress, a lot more anxiety, um, you know, people not sleeping so well, and you know, you you've touched upon it at this moment in time with. COVID-19, you know, there may already be this stress, anxiety um, already going on, but now this is adding another layer on top of it. Um, there may be financial stresses, there may be relationship strains. Um, so, so there's a lot going on, especially as we're in lo lockdown as well. So we're having to share space. And sometimes for some people, very small spaces um, with the same people again and again. And when your hormones are going um, crazy or sort of um, you know you're not in control, then it can be a very tough time on your sort of mental well-being. So, what is your approach then? Um, do do women first come to you with physical symptoms that they then that they you then sort of unpack to reveal mm. things like hormonal issues and, and underlying stress factors? Um, how do you, how do you sort of approach patients? 
Um, they come for any reason. So I have a very sort of integrative, holistic approach as well as uh, obviously prescribing. Um, so often it'll be something will trigger, you know, it may even be that their hair is thinning, you know, hair loss. Right. And, you know, for a woman, hair has a huge psychological role, actually. Um, it might be that they feel that they're getting to the end of their tether when it comes to sort of at work, how long can they keep this going? How long can they keep this up? It could be, you know, impacting their relationship at home. You know, they're not having sex, you know, their libido. Right. So a lot of factors, it's not necessarily, you know, like I said before, hot flushes that make them come in. Oh, obviously, sometimes it is. But um, one of the big things also is lack of sleep or not sleeping, anxiety. Right. Um, and, and their GPs are trying to maybe push um, antidepressants on them, which is not the, really the answer. So um, the, the, those are all the factors that actually bring a woman in to, to see me. Or, and often um, it might take a friend to say, look, I think you should go and see the doctor. Because I think some of the symptoms happen so kind of slowly over time or insidiously that you, as women, we're so used to coping and putting up with things. We're not aware that things have changed and what I, what I really like is that when they come and see me even after a month or so they're smiling and beaming saying you know um, I feel like I'm getting myself back and I didn't know I could feel as good as I do right now I've just been putting up with it so so they find me through many different ways um, and for many different symptoms it's not just one symptom that drives them this way. And do you find that um women that you that you see have um support systems around them so do, do, you, do you find that they can speak to their family about the experiences they're going through or their employers and they're su supported by those groups um I, th I think they don't feel that on the whole although i think employers are making a difference i mean i've given talks to a number of um employers like Coots Bank, Mizoho Bank. Um, and one of the things is it's really nice when employers are, um, you know, or do have a menopause policy or guide, guidance in place. And that helps women to at least feel that there is some breathing space for them. Um, some employers may have what we call menopause or well-being champions that they can then talk to. I think at home um, with their partners, often it's almost like the elephant in the room scenario. Um, the right. partner doesn't want to bring it up in fear of, um, I, I don't know, sort of upsetting her. Um, so, you know, often men, I get asked by men and when I give talks, you know, what men can do to help, you know, and I think the thing is for men really to be supportive, to understand. Um, and the same with employers. Do you know what menopause is? Do you know what perimenopause is? Um, and those aspects so just really sort of raising awareness and education so you can support often there's not much that you can physically do um, as a partner but um, you know as long as you can support her because you understand her and also yeah. understand it's not her it's her hormones right <laughs> yeah yeah of course and um, so we've kind of touched a little bit on what employers can do I mean how much of the I suppose the I suppose the menopause plays a part, but do, do, do traditional kind of working environments, do they place, do you see that they place a bit more pressure on women? And so, you know, things around mental health might be slightly worse or like how does kind of the workplace and the career piece slot in with some of the, some of the concerns that women have? I think women are worried that they're going to be seen as um, not as efficient or that they um, 
are not as good as their jobs um, if they were to raise some of these issues. And I think that those are a lot of their concerns and stresses that go on. And sometimes they're thinking, maybe I'm not doing my job as well, or I don't have the capacity to do as much as I used to do. So I think, um, you know, employers can be very helpful. And, and funny enough, I think one of the positives maybe to come out of this COVID-19 scenario is because we've been um, sort of enforced or forced to work at home, um, maybe flexible working moving forward in the future for employers won't seem such a big thing. I think the thing to look at is more at output rather than the rigid structure of the nine to five. And, yeah. and, and I think, you know, we've almost been pushed into this with this and I think this might be a positive and a positive for women in particular coming out you know whether or not you are a, a young mum or you know you are perimenopause or you know at different stages um that but maybe asking for flexible working might not seem such a no-no moving into the future yeah completely Absolutely. agree I think it's going to be very interesting isn't it to see yeah, how yeah. we all come out of this I think a lot of things are going to change mm. um so as you know Shazadi we uh work in the insurance industry and this yeah. is we have a lot of um insurance insurance listeners in um and it would be good to chat around I suppose uh from an insurance perspective how insurers can perhaps better support uh consumers female consumers mm. who, are, who are going through these types of challenges um Tell us about that. What, you know, what, I'm what really pleased that you brought this up because this is something that's been on my radar and my agenda to sort of write to a lot of insurance companies because, you know, a lot of people do have um, private medical insurance. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that insurance companies could do is to allow and pay for their um for, for their employees or the people that have got taken out insurance with them to come and see a menopause doctor like me. Um, you know, they will happily pay for them to go and see a gynecologist. But because a lot of menopause doctors are more GP based, because we have a much more holistic and integrated way of managing things, um, often uh, a woman can't claim for it. And I think it's a lack of foresight on their part. And it really upsets me because it sort of devalues what I do as well. And yeah. also from a woman's perspective, you know, she feels she's not being heard and her symptoms aren't um, being taken seriously seriously mm -hmm. enough. Yeah. Um, and yet you may pay for somebody to go and have counselling um, for their anxiety or their stress. But actually what they may need is more sort of a, a medical input, HRT, other aspects, and not just a counselling aspect. And the same, you know, you, you send people to physiotherapists. So, um, you know, for aches and pains and joints, joint issues. So I'm really, um, I, I wanted to write to each one of these companies to sort of say, why are you not accepting us as in myself and other menopause doctors as um, doctors that you will pay out for from an insurance point of view if, if a woman comes to you and says, I want to go and see Dr. Harper. And that way, if they could do that, more women would have access um, mm. to, to um, doctors like myself. And the other thing I think some other employers are doing is offering little mini consultations for their employees. So having uh, maybe sort of contract contract with a menopause doctor saying look we're going to have two hours a month or you know four hours a month where my employees can go and have a chat with you on a one-to-one -one, if it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes and then maybe they may book in for a longer consultation I think all employers should do that not just insurance companies but I still do want to give a, um, a say that I really wish that insurance companies now listening to this will will take it on board that um, to fund their women going forward to go and see a doctor like myself. 
Yeah. So I'm, gonna see, I'm assuming those women who, who do go down the route of pri- private medical insurance mm. currently are probably seeing consultants or specialists or um, other such medical professionals who aren't quite in the right place to, to resolve yeah. their symptoms. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they may be going to see a gynecologist because mm. of irregular periods, right. but they're not getting that sort of um, holistic side of care they're just given a bit of given a a prescription is not something that gynecologists you know that's not their area of speciality really um and um and I think that they're sort of being maybe for their headaches they're being referred to a neurologist whereas um those headaches may be more hormonally related they may be seeing a psychiatrist for anxiety where it might be um you know sort of hormonally related so I think it's unfortunate and like I said um not cost effective and a lack yeah. of foresight on their part yeah that, that's really that's a really interesting point it's not at all cost uh, cost effective for the health no. insurer to be paying for five consultants when they yes. could be working with you for yeah. three or four sessions yes mm. absolutely and, and I think the woman um would get so much more out of it herself yeah yeah, yeah I think so too I I can de- I can definitely see a need for a need for it because I think you know, these are sensitive subjects, right? Mm. And you, you want to kind of, you know, you may have these vague symptoms, but you want to be taken seriously. And if you're, if you're sent to these kind of medical consultants who are very formal and they give mm. you some medication yeah. and you kind of moved on your way, I mean, that's how it often feels, right? So I, and personally as a woman, I, I could appreciate having that more kind of emotional conversation and, and be able to open up and, and explore the, everything that's going on, you know, and working out well, if you think about it, there are 13 million women over the age of 45 in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sort of more than half, about half of them are working. So, right. um, you know, there is a need for it. And we are a socioeconomic force. You know, we are bringing money into the economy. You know, we are we are a force to be reckoned with. And we are a talent that should be sort of respected. And we should, you know, I think good employers do understand that. And they they do try and do their utmost for them. Yeah. I think when it comes to PMI, I could almost see something like this working. You know how you have the kind of physio modules mm. bolted on and you have the, the counselling stuff bolted yeah. on. This could almost be, you know, a women's health bolt on or something like that. I think that's an excellent idea. You know, I hadn't thought about it in that way, but I think that is another way of approaching it. And I think it's a it's a really good way of approaching it because it's different from that specialist route it's as in the hospital specialist route but um so so it has that sort of holistic element to it as well so yeah so i hope all of those insurance companies listening out there are are listening to you katie and to (laughs) all of us yeah brilliant um i think perhaps we've sort of explored all of our topics and unfortunately come come to the end of our podcast session but thank you so much for joining us Shisati. that was really really interesting and a really good sort of um, enlightenment for both women out there and also insurers and employers out there around women's health so thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today thank you thank you both bye bye thanks for listening today if you'd like to get in touch you can do so via our twitter account at risky mix we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions And if you know any inspirational women in the industry who you think would be great for the Risky Mix podcast, get in touch. See you next week.